I'm a writer, director, and recent Ozark convert. Oh, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and Florida native. Hello. Hello. Okay, so I want to watch Ozark, but I heard that it's one of those shows where it's dark. <laughs> not like oh, thematically, not, but, like, <laughs> but like visually. Visually dark. You can still see everything. You can. Yeah, because I haven't had an issue with that. Okay, because that was my problem with Daredevil. I wanted to watch Daredevil, but I couldn't see anything that was happening. Um, <laughs> I've been able to see what's happening. <laughs> I feel so old when I say that, but it is how I feel about a lot of shows. Where I'm like, I, I'm squinting. I don't know what's happening. I can't understand what anyone is saying, but I can oh. see what's happening. What happened to Dexter? I finished Dexter six months ago. Oh, you did? How'd you feel about yeah. that finale? Horrible. <laughs> did I you, don't understand why they did that. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like when you watch these old shows and then the finale happens, you're like, who do I bitch about this with? <laughs> I bitch about it to Jake. Oh, he had never seen it? No, he'd seen it. I just this still is, bitch about uh, it to Yeah. Him. Like, if you finished Lost right now, you would be like on Twitter being like, the Lost finale sucked. And people would be like, that was so long ago. <laughs> well, I... I feel like with Lost, you know the finale is bad because that's just in the zeitgeist. Yeah. A lot of times I get warned that these shows that I love get bad towards the end. Uh-huh. So I'm like anticipating that. Yeah. Like with True Blood, I was like, I'm going to watch all of this. I love it. There's no way it could get bad. Mm. And then it got bad and I stopped watching. Mm-hmm. And so with Dexter, I mean, it was really only the last episode where I don't know why they just like fucked it up. And then I like read articles about it and just felt anger towards the writers. Yeah, that's a thing where like a show is so great, seasons like one and two, and then it really goes off the rails. And like sometimes I liked it up and literally up until the last just episode. Just the final episode was what you had yes. a problem with. Ugh. Just that the final decision of what they did with the two main characters I had issue with. So you read an articles about it. Why does that happen? Because I think that these creators have in their head what the ending is going to be before they make the actual show. Yeah. And then it doesn't feel satisfying after the journey of the show. But yeah. from the beginning, they're like, this is what's going to happen. You have to be open to your characters telling you who they are. Right. Like you can't be as someone and, you know, who writes fiction like you can't be like, well, this is uh, what they're going to end up as. And this is what it is, because like. You're looking at, like, the actor's portrayal. You're looking at, like, a changing world and changing politics mm-hmm. and changing times. Like, people are, like, your character is going to tell you who they are. So. I didn't know that you write fiction. We have two <laughs> books. Are you fucking kidding me? I have to go. This is. Uh, just Between Us, yeah. a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. Yeah. But also pranks. Yeah, truly. That would be so great <laughs> if you were like, oh, my God, you write fiction. What have you written? Like, yeah. you f- I have like 30 copies of what you've written in my in my house. Yeah, we wrote a book together. We should plug that. It's called I Hate Everyone But You. And then we wrote another book together called Please Send Help. Yep. So you can get those. If, if you're listening and you're like, these girls wrote fiction, tell me more. <laughs> you know, like you've never Googled us or whatever. 
Okay, well, we have got a great episode for you guys this week. We're going to be talking to journalist Natasha Del Toro all about her investigation for her new true crime podcast, Verified, and just investigative journalism in general. Oh, yeah, a topic I love. And then we're going to be talking about what our perfect life would look like, which is uh, so sad to be recording right now on April 9th. (laughs) You know, you got to dream. Do you? You got to have fantasies i've just been loving going to sleep because then i can be outside the house in my dreams that's so sad please move (laughs) on to the next topic (laughs) okay hit it international question international question international question eloise australia what does tldr mean again too long didn't read got it so tldr I love my friends, but virtually socializing just reminds me that we can't physically socialize, which makes me sad and stops me from enjoying it. I've recently been struggling quite a bit with social distancing. I've been self-isolating for the past three weeks and throughout that time trying to stay socially connected by organizing Zoom hangouts with my friends and stuff like that. My friends are all amazing and have been doing such a great job supporting each other and finding fun and innovative ways to stay in touch. However, I found myself increasingly withdrawing from these. I'm naturally drawn to escapism as a coping mechanism. And in these times, the things that have made me feel good are things that distract me from reality, i.e. work and entertainment. Socializing just reminds me of how much I miss being able to hang out with my friends in person, no matter how much I try to focus on the upsides. I'm worried about the impact not actually enjoying virtually spending time with friends is going to have on my friendships and my mental health. I like signing off in solidarity, Eloise. Yeah, what are we in solidarity about? The human condition? Yeah, the human condition. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Okay, two things. One, I completely relate to this. My coping Mm -hmm. mechanism is also uh, work and entertainment and rewatching the same things over and over and over again. And I relate to that because I don't want this to be our new normal. I don't want... I don't want us to adapt. I I feel like adapting to me makes it real. And I understand Mm -hmm. that everyone is adapting. But like when we got our our equipment to start podcasting from home, I cried because I was like, oh, my God, this truly means that this is going to be the next few months. Like we're making accommodations to like make this permanent. When uh, our is it Garcetti, our mayor uh, put the mask on and was like, I'm going to start wearing a mask because I want everyone to follow my example and see that this is the new normal. I cried because I was like, oh, my God, he's he's normalizing this thing. That means this is going to be the way it is or like anything that has led me to believe that this is permanent in any way has really uh made me really really sad like me and I me and Mal were my partner who's in New York were uh playing a video game together and our characters were like hanging out on a beach in the video game and Mal was like this is so nice and I was crying and Mal was like why are you crying and I was like because we're never gonna hang out on a beach again like a lot of the stuff that has been helping people like similar to you, Eloise, has been really fucking with me. Um, and I'm nervous about the the ad- adaptation of everything to being like, we're just having our Zoom happy hour uh, because I'm worried that that will make people less likely to want to fight to get everything back if we just start normalizing um the way that we're doing things now. But I also understand that this is keeping people from going nuts, that this is like, we're so lucky to have a uh, technology. We're so lucky to be in this age where we're able to FaceTime. I feel lucky, but I also do understand the sadness of like, 
here are my friends and we're playing a video game together on Zoom, but also remember when we went to the bar and will we ever do that again? It is, you're like, it's grief, it's mourning. And so it's this weird thing where you're like going through grief, but also trying to have the friendships that you were having before, but instead a lot of the things that are happening are triggering your grief. Like I get, it's it's almost like you're, you have two mindsets about the thing happening at once and you're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to live in this moment of mourning for sure. Because I, I went out with a bunch of friends and got like super drunk in West Hollywood and had like a really good time a little bit before this happened. And I think all the, and I like see those people on Zoom, but I think all the time about like, we're never gonna accidentally order $50 worth of shots again. And like, it's stupid. Why do you keep saying never? Because like, I, I, I know. Because there will, uh, I mean, there will eventually be a vaccine. Yes. So the longest that we're looking at have living like this is a year and a half. And I don't think that it will go that long. Yes. But, in, but I also in, wonder about, um, people feeling, so even if there is a vaccine, people feeling safe or comfortable enough to go and, and do the, I mean, we do have to mourn a previous way of life. I don't, I think it will. Well, that's what I want to get. I want to speak to is like the fact that what you're experiencing is grief. Yes, and exactly. If there's one thing that looks different for everyone, it's grief. Yes, totally. So I, I don't think that you should feel bad or weird about the fact that like you don't feel like socializing over zoom because you're grieving and that maybe that maybe like a period of withdrawal is just what your grief looks like i think that like right now people's priority needs to just be like getting through the day whatever that means to them mm -hmm. so if you prefer to just like be escapist and like wash stuff and work and you know like you don't have like the physical or mental energy to like do a zoom call with your friends this week that's fine you know like don't put this like added pressure on yourself to be as social as you normally are because the situation isn't normal yes however as someone who's depressive it is playing into your worst instincts to isolate because when you're depressed you isolate and now you're being asked to isolate and so i think your brain my brain at least is like, oh, we're depressed. And it's like, no, 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 it's a pandemic. And my brain is like, but that's what we do when we're depressed and we're doing the things we do when we're depressed. So we're depressed. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, and so it is like this weird thing where I think maybe you you don't do as many Zooms or whatever, or you do, or you do more one-on-one -on -one FaceTimes that feel more normal and less Zooms. Like, of course you'd FaceTime your friend. Like, yeah, that's normal. Like you can FaceTime your friend while you cook or something. Uh, but like particularly like doing these big group hangouts, I understand is like a little bit more strange, but don't, but don't not do any of them is what I'm saying. Don't completely cut it out. I also think we tend to idealize the past. So there's probably been situations where you've been at a party and not had fun. Yeah. You know, like it's not like every social situation you ever had in person was the best. But choice. So, but what we're mourning is choice. Right. But I'm just saying that, like, if you have a Zoom conference, if you have like a Zoom party with some friends and it's like not the time of your life, like you've also had in-person parties with friends and it's not the time of your life. Mm -hmm. Like it's normal to have moods and to sometimes be more engaged than you are on other days. And like, I'm not saying to cut things out completely, but stop judging yourself for like not having a great time right now. Oh, because yeah. And that's, that's just like an unrealistic expectation to put on yourself. Totally. And that's a thing that I've seen come up, too, is people being like, 
oh, I'm I'm thriving in isolation. Like I'm baking bread and I've learned five languages, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, good for fucking you. Like <laughs> everyone is going to take this differently. There should be no pressure to be extra creative, no pressure to be extra social, no pressure to like, oh, well, I got to I got to make up for this. I got to use I got to use this time. I got to do something. It's like, no, no, no. This is fucked up. Like I get mm-hmm. people being like nature is resetting itself and we're learning how to like be people again. But like, OK, for you who is saying that? Oh, God, people on Twitter are like who are very privileged and rich, I assume. No, like this is a fucked up, stressful time. Like people are suffering. And I think if you're any sort of empath, like you're feeling it like the world is like. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like hard and sad and stressful. And like, you shouldn't feel bad for feeling that because that's like the truth. That's like the that's the real hard fucking truth. And when that happens, people react differently. Yeah. And I think also like if maybe just like hanging out with someone on Zoom is like a little too much, like maybe you guys could play like a game together, like a virtual game or something like that. Yeah, that then involves the escapism that does calm you down. Um, And just know that, like, you're allowed to try different things to see what can work. But also, like, just because this week you're feeling this way, by next week you might feel differently. Like, I think that there's a sense of, like, oh, God, this thing is going to go on forever. And then we're going to every single day will be I'll feel the same way I feel today for the next seven months. And, like, you don't know that. Yeah. Like, you know, like two months in, who knows? Maybe you'll start to love Zooming with your friends <laughs> or, like, you'll want to start baking. Like, people change and, like, like that's why it can be really helpful to keep, like, um, like a mood journal. Oh, mood journal, keeping- yes. Yeah, like you're keeping track of how you feel day to day and you might see some changes. And I think the thing that is like completely unnecessary and burdensome in this situation is you then feeling bad about how you feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, yes. like you're just feeling how you're feeling. And honestly, anything is normal right now. Um, I guess the one advice would be to like Gabby said, don't completely withdraw mm-hmm. like still engage with your friends but maybe that might mean texting instead of like a three-hour group zoom Mm -hmm. you know um but just you know keep some contact but i'm definitely feel like disconnected from my friends and what's weird to me is that like it's not super bothering me i'm like oh i guess i should reach out but it feels like work it feels like labor but i also have the benefit of not self-isolating alone and I think that makes a big difference yes. where I do have like human contact every day where people who don't have roommates don't have that but I think like at the end of the day we can't predict what's going to happen at the end of this so like don't don't focus on oh when this is over is this going to like change my relationships with my friends is everything going to be so different is this and like yeah things are going to be different we just don't know how yet you should and talk so, like, to your friends to pre- about it Tell them, tell them that you, your mental health is, is not good about this Zoom and like be, tell the truth. Tell the truth about why you're feeling a little distant. They're your friends. You don't have to pretend to like love Zoom happy hour, you know? It sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> well, hopefully that helps and uh, we hope that maybe tomorrow will be better. And if not tomorrow, you know, seven to eight months from now when we're all still inside. Oh boy. Just kidding. <laughs> If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We're going to be talking to Natasha Del Toro all about investigative journalism, <laughs> which I hope you can still do from home. You can. Just between us. 
With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice to text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself, but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before. So I'm so excited for that. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Today on the show, we have Natasha Del Toro, who is an investigative journalist and the host of the podcast Verified. Hello. Hi there. How are you? Uh, good, good. Uh, <laughs> we are coming to you live from lockdown. Um, do you, you want to tell our audience uh, a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Natasha Del Toro, and I am a journalist. Um, I just finished a podcast called Verified, which is a 10-part serialized podcast um, that's on Stitcher. And um, yeah, that's what I've been working on for the last seven months. But uh, prior to that, I usually make documentaries. That's sort of like my format. So the podcast, um, this is like my foray into the podcast world with Verified. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little about what Verified's about? It, it's uh, terrifying. Yeah, sure. Um, so this is a podcast about uh, these women travelers, these young women who um, from all like different parts of the world who go to Italy and they want to go to Venice on a budget. They don't know each other. And so they um, they want to see Venice and they want to they are using this app called Couchsurfing, which allows people to travel to different parts of the world. And you can find a host in this particular wherever it is that you want to go. And so they go to Venice and they find um, this guy who is a he's an Italian policeman who who says he can host them in Padua. And um, he shows them around, he winds them, he dines them, and then he also uh, drugs them and sexually assaults many of them. 
So this is a story about these young women who've traveled abroad and what happens to them after they realize um, that he's drugged and assaulted many of them and how they decide to fight back. Um, so that's the crux of the story. Um, so it has like kind of a Me Too component and it also looks at the sharing economy, this sort of you know digital trust economy and the ways in which these women um, uh, get justice. How did you first become aware of the story? Um, well, about eight months ago, the executive producer had contacted me. She's somebody that I had you know, known from uh, investigative journalism circles and asked me if I would be interested in working on this story. Um, actually, years before, the, uh, there's this group of Italian reporters that started looking into this. Um, they had just set up ERP, which is um, Italian Reporters Investigative Project. And they had set up a tip line and these women, I mean, they were very new and a very new organization and they set up this tip line. And the first thing that happens is they get an email from one of the women explaining to them that she had been assaulted by an Italian police officer. Um, so initially the Italian reporters didn't, they, they didn't believe at first they were unsure whether they could even believe this story because it seemed like such a, a big tip to come in. Um, and then they started digging into this story further. And then they found out that it wasn't just this one woman, that there were actually many women who had been assaulted by this particular um, policeman. And that's how the story got kicked off. They were the ones that investigated the women's um, testimonies first. And then I came into the story later and um, did uh, my part was investigating the platform Couchsurfing, which is the sharing economy platform, kind of like Airbnb, except you don't, um, there's no money exchanged. It's more like what you call the gift economy. Um, so I was investigating that part of the story, looking at Couchsurfing and their role in all of this as well. What was their role in it? Well, they basically... <laughs> I mean, it's it's tricky because in, in a way they facilitated, I mean, they're the ones that put up the platform. And so there's a lot of trust that goes into, um, you know, the people who are using this platform. And this is something that we experience every day when we use Uber or Lyft or any of these sort of sharing economy platforms. We trust these systems. We think that, you know, if somebody's has a, a verified check mark or they have good reviews and they have this profile that looks legitimate that we can trust the, the other people that are on it. And so um, what we discovered in their role in this is that they, they weren't really held accountable. Like they allowed, they sort of allowed this to happen and usually things work out fine. But when things do go wrong, they have um, we, we found out that they kind of like step away from it, that they do not take responsibility for any of the sort of bad things that happen on their site. So we were sort of investigating that piece of it as well, reaching out to former um, former employees of Couchsurfing, reaching out to the CEO to ask them, like, what steps do they take to prevent this from happening? And what we found out is that they don't actually do much. Um, I mean, they mm -hmm. say that they try to improve their trust and security teams. Um, 
But at the end of the day, um, they don't even really, they never even got on the phone with any of the women that this has happened to. All of the women in our story who experienced this, and there were 14 of them, they had contacted the company. You know, many of them had reached out to the company saying, you know, they report to report this Italian policeman. And the company has a policy that they won't, um, they have to do everything in writing. So um, at the end of the day, we just felt that their response to these allegations of sexual assault were completely insufficient. You know, if you're going to put up this platform and you, it's not it's not properly regulated, there's just a lot of risk that these people are taking. And, you know, and again, we all we all sort of do this. Um, when we get into an Uber or a Lyft, or if you stay, if you use Airbnb or any of these other platforms, you're sort of putting trust into these platforms. But in reality, they're kind of one step removed when it comes to accountability. So 14 women reported this guy to the website and the website kept his profile up and let him keep booking new guests. <laughs> right. Well, here's what happened. Um, th- he was reported uh, and, and, the, and the website, the Coucher thing, people did respond in writing, and they said that they were going to um, take down his profile and, and look for any duplicates. Um, but the fact of the matter is he was still able to continue creating profiles um, and mm-hmm. continue assaulting, drugging and assaulting more women over the course of a year. So clearly whatever it is that they did, uh, did not work. And when we asked them about it, we were trying to, you know, we reached out to them multiple times and um, they weren't getting back to us. And then finally they did respond and, you know, they gave us kind of a lackluster response saying, you know, we're doing the best we can, but we can't always stop bad actors. And we stand in solidarity with the women. But, you know, given mm-hmm. Everything that those women went through, we just didn't feel like that was enough. It's interesting how I in like the 70s, you know, you would hitchhike uh, or you would stay on people's couches and stuff. And then uh, we kind of collectively as a society into the 80s and 90s decided we weren't doing that anymore because of the heyday of the serial killer. And then all of a sudden we have this thing now where it's like totally normalized to get into a stranger's car. It's totally normalized again to like stay at a stranger's house. And I think like people have too much faith in the app as a go-between. And we've seen similar problems with a friend of mine was assaulted in an Airbnb. Uh, Another uh, woman on Twitter was talking about how, you know, she was uh, raped by an Uber driver. There's like all kinds of things that like, what, why do you think we put so much um, like trust in, in an app all of a sudden to solve a problem that we collectively sort of agreed in the eighties and nineties was a problem. (laughs) Right. No, that's a really good question. And what we we interviewed uh, a guy um, who's a um, NYU professor who studies this to ask him, like, how how did this even come to be? Like, why do we trust these systems? Um, and he was explaining one one little fact that's kind of that we thought was really interesting was as a, as a whole, society has become less trusting, like between people. But for some reason, we do put trust in these digital systems um, and these platforms. And why, why is that? And his theory is that over time, 
we have come to trust the reviews and like profiles, like something about the the technology itself that we think we've kind of gotten good at um, telling if somebody is trustworthy or not based on reviews and um, and profiles. But the reality is, and what we found is that um, these reviews and the profiles can be manipulated. Um, and that's certainly what happened in our story as well um, with the, the women. They had all read this policeman's reviews. His profile on couchsurfing was, um, was perfect. He had tons of positive reviews. And, and that's one of the reasons why these women felt safe staying at his house. Um, but in our investigation, what we found was he was actually threatening people that would post negative reviews and harassing people so that they would then take them down and he was getting friends to write positive reviews. So some of it, there's like trickery going on. And, you know, on the user side of it, we just get used to nowadays, you think, you know, if you read a Yelp review or any other kind of review, you think that that, that person is then, you know, vetted. Um, but the reality, again, is you have to be, you have to be really careful because what we found out is it does not guarantee anything. Um, the other part of this that we thought was really interesting was verified. You know, when you see a check mark next to somebody's name, whether it's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, in this case, couchsurfing, you know, he was verified. His profile had been verified. And that's another, that little symbol usually gives you some sort of assurance that that person is safe, that they've been vetted, that, you know, that it's all good. Um, but what we found out was we, we decided to actually create our own um, couchsurfing profile um, and to get verified to find out what that process was all about and what it actually means. And we discovered that it actually doesn't mean much at all. Um, basically, you plug in your information. Uh, we bought a prepaid um, card that you could put money on so it's not connected to any like your bank information or anything and um, we paid $65 which is what it costs to get verified um, oh no plugged in I, oh so you just pay to get verified it's not well that's what we found out there's no yeah it, I mean it's it, they, they're not really checking anything in fact I used a um, for the purpose of this experiment I used a false name a different name and a different address, and I used this prepaid card um, that I had put $65 on, which is what it cost to get verified, just to see what would happen, you know, if any kind of red flags go up or if I get kicked off or, you know, just what happens. And within 15 seconds of putting in that um, the card information, I was verified. So <laughs> that's what verified means. Verified means that you've paid $65 or $60, whatever it was, to get that little check mark next to your like name. It's like harder to get approved for weed delivery than it is <laughs> to get verified. Well, I, I wouldn't know that. Um, but yeah, no, um, it's, uh, it's not very reassuring at all when you find out that that process that you trust, that, you know, the verification check mark really doesn't mean much other than just uh, that you paid money. Um, 
And so, so yeah, once, once you dig, you know, in, if you go into their terms of use page on Couchsurfing, and, you know, some of these are different. If you look at Uber, Twitter, et cetera, like their terms of use page, pages are going to have um, fine print that you should read. But in the fine print of Couchsurfing's website, it, it basically tells you that the verification process doesn't actually, they're not doing any criminal background checks or anything of the, of the sort. Um, and that they are not going to, they're not liable for, for whatever happens. So it's, that uh, was my next question. <laughs> yeah, so like right. legally, what is it, what do these sites say? Cause when you actually go and read a lot of the terms of service, um, it's not, you know, it doesn't, it's like, they're totally not liable for anything. They're not liable for anything. And they say this many times. On, on their terms of use page, like they they spell that out that they are not liable, um, which again, you know, we use these platforms trusting, you know, it has sort of the slick te- technology, and um, you know, you see other, it has 14 million users couchsurfing, so you assume that because there are so many people that use it, um, and they have this platform that's very slick and all these reviews and all that, it's safe. But at the end of the day, they are, if something goes wrong, they are not liable and they spell that out multiple times. I was wondering if you could speak to how it is different to investigate sexual assault and rape versus something else, like a financial crime. Oh my gosh, or... yeah, yeah. Um, well, this was the first time that I had um, investigated a sexual assault case and especially one of this kind. And, um, you know, one of the things that you have to be extra careful about in these sort of stories is not to re-traumatize the people that have been, you know, the survivors of sexual assault. So in terms of, um, you know, there are, there are ways to talk to people, to be mindful of their experience and to not re-traumatize them. Um, and that part of it is much different than any other kind of investigation. Um, just the human element of this and being really sensitive to um, the, the survivor's experience. Um, and I think that that piece of it is, um, is definitely different. Um, also, I guess one of the things that was stunning and outrageous to me, and this is you know, this is not new, um, but something that we need to keep um, saying is how frustrating it is that these women, they all reported their crimes to the police in their own countries after they had gone and stayed with this Italian policeman in Italy and they were assaulted, the women who were um, drugged and assaulted. They went back to their countries and they reported to the police. They did everything they were supposed to do. From you know reading his uh, the reviews, checking his profile, um, and then when something did go wrong, they contacted the company, they contacted Couchsurfing, and they reported him to the police in their own countries. And so many times, what the police did was basically laugh in their face. You know, they didn't take their um the report seriously at all in fact they were like oh you stayed with a stranger in a foreign country and you drank wine at his house you know like 
they, uh-huh. at that point, all bets were off in terms of taking their story seriously. Um, so, you know, and that's another, another part of this investigation and it's different about sexual assault is just really being, being delicate when you're listening to their stories and like believing them, you know, that's what the police didn't do. They didn't believe these women who came and reported him. So, um, that's, that's definitely a, a, a different, I think as investigative reporters, we are always really skeptical of everything that's part of our job. Um, but in these cases, you know, just being really sensitive to these women's stories because they had already been through so, so much. Um, and they had already been, their stories had been denied so many times that there's, you know, you just have to be really careful in talking to these people and making sure that you're like validating their experiences and not re-traumatizing them. No matter what country they went back to, they they went back to all sorts of different countries and the police acted the same in every country? In, in many of the different countries. Um, one of the wow. survivors reported him in, in Britain. And, and mm-hmm. she, in her case, there were like bureaucratic snafus and there were also um, typos in the report. And so that's why her case took years to ever even reach the desk of a prosecutor in Italy. Um, but in the case of many other women, like there was a woman in Portugal who went back and there was a woman in Poland. Um, they, when they had gone to the police to report, they had very similar experiences where the police just didn't believe them. Um, and so that's, that's where they decided, you know, well, where, where do you turn? If couchsurfing, if the company is not really going to do anything about it because they're not liable and the police aren't going to do their jobs because they don't believe you, then what are you supposed to do? At that point, you've got, you know, two options. You either, um, well, you either decide to just kind of drop it and try to move on um, or you can do what these women did, which is they decided to take matters into their own hands and like they started investigating him themselves. Um, And that's where our story sort of, you know, takes a turn. Do you think that investigative journalism kind of fills that gap for people who are unable to get the police to listen to them? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it were not for the investigative reporters, the Italian reporters who listened to these women, then this story probably would have never happened and they probably would have never been able to to, um, take him to court. Um, Because so once, and I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't listened to the podcast, but once um, the police, you know, denied them, they started investigating. They formed a group, a Facebook group, and they started finding all of these different women who had also been assaulted by him. Um, and then they decided to um, contact the investigative reporters in Italy. And once the investigative reporters got involved in their story, that's when they started to see progress. And that's when they were able to contact a prosecutor in Italy that decided to take the case. So if it had not have been for the investigative reporters, this would have never, this would have never happened. Um, so yes, I do, I do definitely think that when police aren't responding or the justice system is failing, that's when investigative reporters can come in and you know, hold people accountable. Are you worried with the decline in journalism that 
this will happen less and less because there'll be less, you know, investigative journalists who have the resources to do these deep dives? With the decline of journalism, is that what you said? Yeah, like, you know, the money, mostly the money that there's no there's not money in journalism the way there used to be. Yeah. You know, I would maybe um, of course, I I mean, I investigative journalism takes a lot of time and a lot of money and, you know, resources. And we've seen a lot of local or, you know, media outlets close their investigative units because they just don't have them, you know, the money to, to invest in that kind of reporting, um, which is troubling. Then again, I have, I, I would arm, almost argue though that this is the golden age of investigative reporting. I feel like, you know, uh, and podcasts have given the opportunity for, you know, it's given a great platform for investigative stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do worry. We do have to fund investigative journalism. I mean, I wake up, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I check ProPublica. You know, there I don't know if you all are familiar with ProPublica, yeah. but their their work is so important. Um, and yeah, I mean, we it, it's critical in these times for us to have investigative journalism. It's come down to a lot of individuals, like the doggedness of uh, Ronan Farrow or the Italian reporters that you were talking about, or the people that have been on Trump's case since the beginning, it's come down to a lot of like dogged, uh, individuals. And then also you're right. Like podcasts have really become the place where you can sort of deep dive into things and people are funding podcasts. Like that is a thing that is getting money. But I think also, I mean, too. I mean, I think that some of these Netflix series are also um, doing great. You know, we see some tremendous investigative reporting that goes into some of the Netflix series, but but definitely with podcasts. And because of this serialized format, you know, you can listen to it over time, and it does allow you to go deep into a subject. Which you know, nowadays with like our sort of clickbaity, um, some of the clickbaity outlets, like, you know, well, I don't want to name any, but <laughs> we don't have, it, it, <laughs> it, yeah, we don't, it doesn't always go deep. Um, so I do think podcasts have given like sort of a whole breathe fresh air into investigative journalism. It is interesting that across every country, there was a similar sort of uh, dismissal of sexual assault. And it's almost come to, in a lot of cases that it is up to the the people who have been assaulted to like find prove. each other and yeah. prove and expose and like do the legwork. Um, is, yeah. I mean, and people are more willing to do that now. The fact that, I mean, did you have trouble having any of the, the women speak to you? Um, no, I think by the time, you know, this process has taken Years. I mean, they started talking to the investigative, the Italian investigative reporters, back in 2013. So, um, you know, by by now they're well aware of what we're doing, and they have agreed. Um, there was one woman, one young woman, who didn't want to speak to us, um, and her story is really, really hard. Um, so she was really young when she was assaulted. She was a teenager and, um, she was the one person that wasn't on board and didn't want to speak with our group. Um, but the rest of the women were pretty much like they've been at this for so long 
that they were just happy that it's finally getting attention, you know, and that it's going to be heard, mm-hmm. their stories being heard. And it's, I think it's a great source of validation for them. So that wasn't really the case in our in our story, with the exception of um, of one one of the women that really didn't want to talk. Because you can imagine if there's 14 of them that do want to talk, that there's, I'm going to go with 30 others who never said anything. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. And we were thinking, we wouldn't be surprised at all. We've kind of put it out there, like if, you know, if... Um, if there are other women and we wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. one bit because he, this guy has sort of a revolving door of women, like literally want, you know, a woman would be leaving that day that he had assaulted and then he would have another one coming in um, that evening and he would assault that one too. So he had this sort of revolving door going for more than a year. Um, so we wouldn't be surprised at all if there were other women to come forward um, in that in this, you know, hopefully as a result of our podcast, we would give people the courage to speak out, um, you know, but we also certainly respect people that that can't for whatever reason, you know, um, we don't want to we don't want to shame anybody for the choices right. that they make um, around sexual assault and speaking out. Right. I mean, there's a lot of cases where we've seen like someone take it into their own hands and come forward and then it just opens a floodgate. Like there's almost always more. If there's one, there's more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. And and like I said, with this guy, it's kind of stunning. When we first started, we thought, oh, okay, there's one. Oh, wait. Okay, there's another one. Oh, wait, there's 14. You know, like this was just going on all the time. So why... Why would he stop once he figured out that he could get away with it? And so it's a policeman, you know, so um, figuring out how to take down a policeman. He had a lot of power, you know, and he abused that power. And so once he sort of realized that he had his method down, he would do the same thing each time. Then, you know, it would be very it would be very easy for him to do this over and over again. So we wouldn't be surprised at all if there were many other women to come forward and we hope and again we hope that they they do um and we've like part of our podcast is putting a call out to to people to you know to feel free to call in our show and and tell us and if not with with this particular uh predator but any other experience that they've had you know part of this um project is is to get people talking and to hopefully come forward and destigmatize uh sexual assault it's wonderful that they found each other. It's incredible that they found each other. I mean, and I really, I, there was one woman who started all of it. And she was the woman from Portugal. Her name's Maria. And she, she was a firecracker. She just was not going to let this go. You know, she knew he had done something to her. And that was the thing. They were drugged with, um, it was a drug that they couldn't remember. So they would just have these sort of flashes of memory. And she felt so violated that she decided, you know, after the police had told her, you know, sorry, we can't help you. She was not going to let this go. And she started to investigate him along with a friend on her own. And I was really impressed with her sort of sleuthing skills and what she was able to find just on her own. And there's still, you know, the, the, the um, Dino is the name of the uh, the guy. Um, he's still out there. He's under house arrest right now. 
Um, he's waiting for uh, he's an uh, appeal. He's appealing. And um, for now, he's still, you know, under house arrest. So these women continue to track him because they realize that he still presents some kind of danger. You know, as long as he's able to be on social media, which he has a Facebook page and he's on TikTok and he's on other social media platforms, he can, um, he still presents some risk to other people. Um, so they've continued to follow him. That's amazing that he's still at large. He's still at large. I mean, he's not supposed to, you know, obviously he's not supposed to to be, be, but, but but this all comes back to the fact that it started on the internet, you know, and that he's getting access to so many people. And he had violated the terms of his house arrest before. So, you know, unless he's being watched. I'm shocked. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Unless he's, unless they're watching him closely. But um, yeah, so these women have continued. I mean, they've been at this for, I don't know, six, seven years now. And they're still watching him. Um, In some ways, filling in the role that the police should be doing. Before we move on to the next segment, could you kind of speak to um, what makes a subject matter worth investigating? Like, how do you determine whether something is worth that deep dive? Yeah, I mean, usually it starts with some kind of wrongdoing, right? Like you want to, if you if you see that there's some abuse of power or that there's some sort of wrongdoing and you want to try to make it right, um, that's usually a pretty good starting point to determine whether an investigation is worth tackling or not. And in this case, you know, these women's stories were compelling to us because no one else was listening to them. They had gone through this terrible experience. Many of them had suffered PTSD, depression. Some of them had had suicidal thoughts. And we thought that their stories were valid and needed to be heard. We also wanted to hold this guy accountable for his crimes and to stop him. So, you know, through our story, we had the ability to elevate these women's stories and to stop this guy, hopefully, you know, like that's the, through the the work of the investigative reporters in Italy and through our team um, at Scripps, we were able to put some pressure so that this guy, you know, he's being watched now. And his case did go to trial in Italy. And now, you know, hopefully he's going to be locked up. And that's what we're waiting to find out. Thank you so much for doing this, investigating it, sharing with us. And Oh, my gosh. On, my pleasure. Now, would you like to play a dumb game show? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so this is called Hypotheticals. Um, you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many questions as you want, and then you would tell me what you would do in that situation. And then I just decide if I like your answer or not, you know, completely arbitrarily. <laughs> sort of like the police deciding whether or not to believe you. Uh, uh, right. Uh, oh, by the way, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't take Mark Zuckerberg back. That was from one of your last yeah. ones. Oh, she listens. <laughs> oh, she listens. Every single guest that comes on now, we have to start with, would you take Mark Zuckerberg back? No further questions are allowed at this time. (laughs) Right. All right, shoot. So our our first uh, game 
is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Oh, boy. Your significant other admits to having an online affair for the last two months while you have been super busy with work. Mm. When you look into the person your significant other was talking to, you quickly realize they have been catfished by a 75-year-old man in Montana. (laughs) Would you stay with this gullible cheater? How do they not know they're being catfished? Because people get catfished all the time. You're an investigative reporter. Oh, got it. Natasha? Would I get back with them? Um, I, I, pro- I might. I might get back with them, and I would just never drop it. I would constantly, I would post, a, I would print a photo of that person and just remind them every <laughs> single day that they had been catfished by a 75-year-old. That would be fun, actually. Wow. Wow. I, because you I get really to be like, like that answer. you get to, you're like petty. Well, you get to be like, you dumb idiot. You tried to cheat on me and you're too stupid. <laughs> right. That's just an opportunity. Right. Lifelong dig, you know, like you can just keep reminding that person. This was my entire relationship with my boyfriend in college was just him cheating on me, me finding out and going, you're a dumb fuck. Uh, very healthy. So I like to think I've learned my lesson. So I'm going to say I, I would not get back together with this person just to redeem myself from college. But they really love you. They just re- I've grown, Allison. <laughs> All right. Well, Natasha wins this one. That's what? mature. Uh, yeah. You, well, you took to like the high you know, road. That's the mature route. But, you know. Yeah, but I prefer the best bit. And that's what Natasha has. Fine. <laughs> OK, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your three-year-old hears you on a work call discussing domestic terrorism. They then ask you what domestic terrorism means, and you say it's an ice cream flavor. (gasps) Are you a terrible parent? They only try to order it once at Baskin-Robbins. Oh, my God. Are you a terrible parent? Oh, my gosh. I feel like I'm somehow revealing a lot of things about myself through this. Um, no, you're not a terrible parent. Like, how are you even explain to a three-year-old what domestic terrorism is? You know, like, I think maybe you should hold up, wait till they're like five or six before you explain domestic terrorism. I don't know. Like, at least, like, let them know that Santa Claus isn't real, and then you can explain what domestic terrorism is. Wait, they're three? Mm-hmm. I would, okay, I don't <laughs> believe in lying to kids, so I would try to, I would be like, it's when, like, you know, in your TV show when the bad guy comes, it's like that. That's what I would say. What bad guy in three-year-old TV shows? There's, what do you think three-year-olds watch? There are, there are lessons that they have to learn. There's bad guys and you learn and you learn lessons like don't be mean to your friends. So I'd be like, it's when like in your, you know, Peppa Pig, when the person is mean to Peppa. So the mean person is a domestic terrorist. Yeah, and then their friend steals their toy and they call them a domestic terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> I did that to a girl in and in, in uh I did that to a girl when I was babysitting her in high school. She was like in sixth grade and she said you her teacher her made her tuck. No, she said her teacher <laughs> made her tuck in her shirt and I said that's fascism as a joke. And then later oh. her mom was like she, I told her to go to her room and she said I was a fascist and I thought you had told her what that was. And I was like, "Oh, cuz you don't realize how much kids really soak in." So yes, she probably would call her friend in preschool a domestic terrorist. And I'm okay with that. Okay, our final game. Would you lie or tell the truth? Your coworker/best friend in the entire world tells you they have been embezzling money from the company you both work for. When your boss asks you about the missing money, do you lie or tell the truth? Oh, I'd have to tell the truth. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm your best friend. Yeah. What company no. do you work for? What? Facebook? Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Steal yeah. all their money. Who cares? This is the plot of Office Space. Can I get in on this? <laughs> fuck that. What company is it? Is it a mom and pop shop or is it like Walmart? It's a big company. Yeah, fuck it. Steal from them. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Natasha, you're going to go with tell the I truth. Think so. I think so. I mean, it just it, so many bad things could happen, you know, and what if they find out and then it comes back to you. And I, I feel like, um, I mean, I would have a conversation with them and tell them like, you know, maybe you shouldn't have stolen this money. I feel really terrible. I, I don't know that I would offer it up, but if they came and asked me about it, I think I would have to tell the truth. Would you visit your friend in prison? <laughs> totally. Oh, yeah. I would totally. I would visit them in prison. I, w- I would take them domestic terrorist ice cream. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much for telling us all about the podcast and for playing the game. Where can people find out more information about your work and also Verified? Well, for Verified, you can listen on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for my work, you can see my work online. I have a website, natashaeltoro.com. So, um, so yeah, you can see my work online. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you all so much for your interest. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking about what our perfect lives would look like. Yikes. just between us it's time for topics x x x x x x x x x baby i thought uh now would be a fun time to just really give into fantasy and discuss you know what our perfect life would look like if we had complete control over everything oh you go first okay so first of all so many animals yeah you want a sanctuary right yeah so i'd have an animal sanctuary um, I imagine it would be a sort of situation where, like, I have my regular house, and then, like, in the backyard, there's, like, all this stuff for animals. <laughs> I don't even know what... I, clearly, this is a fantasy, but, like you know, barn? different housing for animals. What animals? Um, I wouldn't want to do, like, too crazy, because I think that those animals need a lot of space. So, like, yeah. smaller animals, like dogs, cats. I would love raccoons. I'd love foxes. And then Goats? I'd employ people to take care of the animals so it's not just on me it's like a little business could people come and visit the animals uh yes but only in small groups but you don't want like anything that's too i take big. it back nobody can visit the animals but me wow really or like people i know and like the people that work there but it's not about people getting to see them as an attraction it's just about them being saved and living their best lives so i'd have um unlimited money of course who wouldn't yeah, so unlimited money. Oh, my parents and my sister would live out here. Yeah. That well, would be okay, if difference. I had unlimited money and it was just uh, replenishing all the time, I would give it away. Like, I don't understand why Jeff Bezos doesn't solve homelessness. Oh, it's insane. No, I would solve a, I would solve all global problems. It doesn't as well. make any sense. Like if if that it's always that thing of like, oh my God, these people donated like a million dollars. And I'm like, a million dollars is like if I gave you five dollars for that person. Like I don't I understand know. why you wouldn't just it makes no hoarding the wealth makes no sense to me. Well, people are greedy. You don't even need it. I Sell know. one jet. 
I know. Well, you shouldn't have. Oh, so I would not have a private plane, though, because those are very bad for the environment. Yeah. I mean, I'm using jet as like sell one of your gold toilets. Like sell. (laughs) Like, I don't understand if you are a, a millionaire, if you're a millionaire and it's just you, you're not married or anything. Why do you need a house with more than three bedrooms? People like status and space and stuff. I don't know. I wouldn't want that big of a house, but I would want um, a pool and a tennis court. (laughs) Okay. So I would also have my own production company. Yeah. Where I would like employ all women and just my friends. And then we would make a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. um, Both in TV and in film. And honestly, maybe Broadway. Ooh. Would you produce my Blink-182 musical finally? Sure. The Blink-182 musical? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to have to do a massive rewrite, but... The story maybe, like, is solid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll shoot you over my pitch doc for it. Um, it's funny because you always like, you're like, oh, my friends are so talented. I wish that I could give them all the money to make the things that they want. That's how I feel all the time. Yeah. So then in your life, you would do that, right? Yeah. I mean, my perfect life just looks like me giving money away all the time. I would want to also maybe I'm kind of into this idea of like communal living. So yes, I would would like to have like my own house. But then everyone I love and care about is also on that street. Yes. Well, I was thinking about like when you buy land and like how I could put a bunch of like airstreams on that land and then just let my friends live there for free. Yeah. I mean, see, this is my perfect life. So they'd have full houses. Um, my perfect life does involve a lot of Airstreams. And if Airstream wants to sponsor us, I would love that. Shout out to Airstream. Um, I, it's tough because it's like my perfect life, but then also it's the idea of like, I would love to have a president who cared about us. I would love to have like a lot of capitalist structures torn away. I would love to live in a world where like the air is clean and the water is clean and like Mm -hmm. people care about climate change. Like there's so many things that you break down, like what's my perfect life look like under our current system or what does my perfect life look like and the systems are better. You know what I mean? There's like two answers here. I would love if people believed in climate change. (laughs) Like, right. But like, is it that we can control other people or is it that we can just control like what we can do? Um, In this scenario, it's just what we can do. So I would love to have a bunch of money to give away and try to like fix systems. Although it sucks because it's like, okay, so obviously like, let's say in this scenario, I have like Elon Musk level of money and I'm giving it away. But like, and yes, I would, that's my ideal. But also that's stuff that like our government should be doing for us. Like it's Mm -hmm. being, the slack is being picked up by like the individual and that sucks. But I would love in my perfect life, I have the money to like do that. And honestly, maybe I should just run for president. What would your day to day look like in your perfect life? Quiet. Quiet? I live in a loud area. Um, I would love no neighbors. Mm -hmm. I would love quiet. I would love um, to be able to just like work on my stuff. And like, I would love to be able to to work in Hollywood, but not live in LA. How do you do Ooh. that? Well, this is your perfect life, so you can do it. Where would you live? In the woods, away from everyone. <laughs> okay. But I also would want my, fr- I would want to be able to like my friends to come out for like the weekend and we like have little bonfires and stuff and like hang out. I want like my one partner and then I would love to have like multiple partners, but they don't live with us and maybe they can just like leave. Like I don't have to care about where they go. <laughs> Like they can come hang out for the weekend and then like, see ya. So you'd have weekend partners in your perfect Yeah. Life. 
Or like that, that like maybe there's like one per, one third person that like hangs out with us or or like is p- more part of our lives. I don't Am want I kids. Per- you don't want kids even in your perfect life? I think I don't want to ha- give birth to a baby and I don't want like the baby of it. Maybe I just want like, I want to like a 10 year old who's like already there yeah. as a 10 year old. And I want them to also like be chill. Right. No, I would want like, uh, like a really smart, like emotionally mature seven-year-old. I would want my sister to be obsessed with me and Aww. call me all the time. And then uh, let me would... let me speak as someone who does have that. It's not great. <laughs> my my sister does call me all the time and is obsessed with me. Currently texting me. I have seven texts from her. It's not awesome. Yeah, but your sister's different than my sister. Yeah. I mean, I love my relationship with my sister, but it is also entirely too obsessive. But I want to I want to have all the power in the dynamic. Oh, good luck. Yeah. This is my perfect life. Why not? Um, my perfect life. Um, I get to like do a lot of projects, but um, I'd never get any notes. <laughs> <laughs> I love notes. I would love to work with like just geniuses. I would love, I want notes, but I want the notes to be like, oh my God, you're right. You're a fucking genius and you're, and your job here and your position here is totally worth it. And you're not wasting my time. Yeah. I, I guess I'd want good notes that I, I know how to immediately solve. Yeah. I would want Jake to have a job that he really loves. Oh, that's so sweet. And that is like fulfilling for him. I um, want Mal to win a Grammy. I know that they probably are like, I'm too punk or whatever, but like, I want that for them. <laughs> Um, sugar would live forever. Yeah. Oh, I wish Beans was immortal. Oh, but sugar would also like other dogs and swim. <laughs> I think all the time about like holding, like I'm like holding Beans' little head being like, no dog will be better than you. Like when Beans dies and I get a second dog, I'll be like, you're okay. But I won't like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you never know until, until it happens. But in, in this scenario, <laughs> it would never happen. Tamika, want to come in and share your perfect life? Hello. Hey, Hello. she made it. Hi. She made I it. I did. Um, my perfect life, are we going realistic or unrealistic? I think that's a great point Gabby made. The perfect life in this world or in like some alternative reality? This world. This world. Um, I would like a life where I feel completely financially secure so I can focus on things that are not money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that like that burden of working and feeling like you need to pay for this, you need to pay for this, that you have to just keep striving to pay for things. It's just such a big weight. We don't really realize because we have done it for so long. But if you don't have that, I think you can focus on, you know, your relationships, your creativity. And I think that, you know, hopefully that would create some sort of perfect life scenario. Ooh, Tamika said, end capitalism, baby. Tamika said, bring down the capitalist power structures that strangle us all. Bills, who is she? We don't need it. Rent, landlords, straight to the guillotine, baby. Did I say all that? I don't think so. Tamika said socialist (laughs) rights, baby. So how did y'all feel about this episode? I... Loved it. I think Natasha's bringing this all to light in podcast format is really great because so much of this work gets overlooked uh, and podcasts are a really great way to like get eyeballs and ear earballs on this type of thing. 
especially stories of sexual assault, which are really, really too often brushed under the rug unless one diligent person really hammers it home. You know what I mean? Yeah, I really like that conversation. And as someone who's done journalism and studied journalism, I really appreciate people who have such dedication to to doing these kinds of stories, especially right now when Mm -hmm. it's especially important to fact check and to be thorough Mm -hmm. and to just be really vigilant about about quality. Well, to still have faith in journalists is very important. Yeah. When everyone is being accused of like lying and fake news and everything. And the way in which um, the way the role that investigative journalism plays in picking up the slack of uh, the police and the structures Mm -hmm. uh, in place. And also the idea that even even to get to the investigative journalism, the women themselves took the place of the police of Uh, someone Mm -hmm. else who should have been looking into this of even the app themselves like that is is so sad that it is necessary but so empowering and i hope inspirational to our listeners what do we rate the episode 10 out of 10 domestic terrorist flavored ice cream Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i would rate it um six out of Five social distancing Zoom sessions with your friends. Cute. Tamika? Mm, five out of five reporters' notebooks or whatever those look like today. I used Aww. to use actual notebooks. But Did you ever use a moleskin? No, I thought that they, I don't know, it just seemed too pretentious or something. All right, I'll show myself out. <laughs> no, they were more expensive than just like the cheaper notebooks. So I don't know. Okay, Tamika. (laughs) Thank you so much to Natasha Del Toro for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn, apparently a bougie idiot. (laughs) Our engineer (laughs) is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. I don't like notebooks that don't have a spiral. All right, that's fair. I accept that. Thank you. Stitcher.